Hello and welcome to Her Story of Dance, a podcast where we will talk about dance, dancing and the dancing communities of South India. I am Yashoda Thakur, a dancer and the host of Her Story of Dance, a podcast conceptualized and supported by Goet Zentrum Hyderabad and produced by Suno India. So far we have spoken about what the term Devadasi means, where, when and how she performed. Her patrons and more importantly, we tried to understand the ambiguity around the issue of her caste. Mostly this was about the Hindu kings and how they participated in the dialogue. But today, let's look at what other influences went into constructing the dance and the identity of devadasi as we know her today because what we dance today is the history of people of places and of multiple cultures i am yashoda thakur and with me on this journey is sampriti who is one of my many co-travelers through this universe of dance We've spoken so much about the Devdasi and the Devdasi dancers to teach her, but I noticed that even in Kuchpudi, when I was dancing something like the Janata Shabdam, I knew that I was portraying a Devdasi, and it may have come from what the Devdasis performed, that is their repertoire, but I'm curious about the words that went into the Janata Shabdam teacher. There were things like Sahibu, Salamu, which sound like Urdu words to me and I know they're actually Urdu words. I'm a Hyderabad girl. So how did that come in when you say Islamic influence? Is that what we are talking? Yes, and those very much were Urdu words. Andhra Pradesh had a Muslim rule and their influence on the dance forms cannot be ignored. In fact, the dancing woman was an integral part of the rule. Let's go back a little. By the end of the 15th century, the Bahmani sultans died out completely and the Qutub Shahis, the Turco-Muslim tribe, took over. Kuli Qutub Shahs served the Bahmani sultans and declared independence after the death of Mahmud Shah. the bahmani king in 1518 ad kuli kutub shah is said to have been madly in love with a dancer named bhagamati he actually married her and it is even said that the original name of hyderabad bhagyanagara was after her the kutub shahi dynasty is of particular importance in our discussion as it is a crucial link to the story of the modern day classical dance of kuchipudi we shall talk about it at a later stage it is said that they were very artistic and conscious of the well-being of the state persian architecture is an aesthetic by itself the local language of telugu was patronized even as persian language Farsi in particular as Iran prefers to call her language integrated into Telugu society in different ways this aspect 
opened up to me much to my excitement when i learned the javalis from the ladies i should have questioned myself when i came across the farsi words in kuchipudi but i was so engrossed in the physicality of the dance and the visual aspect that i did not think of the history the usage carried with it in other words i was full of myself the javalis i learned from the kalavantulu ladies use words like wazir salam bezar hi hi and so many more it is such a beautiful mix they they kind of gel gel into the javali you know Simhapuri Javalis refer to Ranganatha of Nellore and address him as Wazir the ruler in Farsi I then began to realize that Kuchipudi was replete with these words in the theater forms and select solo performances This can also be seen as a pick from the Dakkani Urdu that came to stay in the Deccan area Going back to our Kutub Shahi rulers Abdullah Qutb Shah the indolent successor of the illustrious Sultan Muhammad led to a slide in the power of the Qutb Shahis Golconda the capital was exposed to the Mughals and in 1636 Abdullah Qutb Shah acknowledged the suzerainty of the Mughals the Mughals invaded Golconda Taramati and Premamati were two acclaimed dancers during the period of Abdullah monuments and remains in the memory of the two still exist in Hyderabad his successor the last qutb shahi ruler abul hasan qutb shah popularly known as tanisha was a ruler with high administrative acumen he resisted the mughal invasion with all his might even while keeping the interference of english merchants at bay with the help of his ministers madanna and akkana but tanisha became a victim of treachery this was when an afghan general opened the gates of golconda to aurangzeb the fanatic mughal king at midnight golconda fell in 1687 ye teeru gannanu daya juchedavu yenavam shottama rama ye teeru gannanu 
ಇನವಂಶೋತ್ತಮ ರಾಮ ನಾಥರಮಸಾಗರ ಮೀರನು ನಳಿನದಳೇಕ್ಷಣ ರಮ ನಾಥರಮಸಾಗರ ಮೀರನು ನಳಿನದಳೇಕ್ಷಣರ cannot be discounted that the first sultan kuli expanded his area to machli patnam which is in today's andhra pradesh the celebrated devati poet kancharla gopanna well known as ramadasu constructed the bhadrachalam temple for sri rama during the period of tanisha in fact the tradition of the ruling government offering pearls at the temple of bhadrachalam during the wedding ritual every year began with them tanisha's name features significantly in the often told history of kuchipudi you know this oh yes i do this is very much part of the history of kuchipudi that we learn where he gave the kuchipudi bhagavatulu the land when he was impressed by their performance and that is true and we know that that's the village kuchipudi that exists today but ramya says something else her research proved something else to her by ramya do you mean ramya pucha right the one who looked at kuchipudi in a different light her work revisiting the classical a critical history of kuchipudi dance has such wonderful insights into how we understand the history of kuchipudi uh I understand she is the assistant professor at the Institute for Women's Studies as well as the Hugh Hodson School of Music. Ramya, you've done so much research on Kuchipudi and um, when it comes to the history of Kuchipudi, yours is the go-to work, you know, for anybody and even at my university, University of Silicon Antra, your thesis, your dissertation is the reading that I give all of them. So we are all waiting for your dissertation to be published first thing and please give us... <laughs> the when it comes to the history ramya and all my life i've been struggling with the history of kuchipudi where nothing is clear you know nothing is um, uh, it can't be validated with any proof until your dissertation came and then you gave us everything crystal clear and makes us feel so much better i kind of breathe easy after i read i read your uh, dissertation so let's begin with the most controversial siddhendra yogi ramya please tell us what you think <laughs> about him you know i should maybe start from how i started asking those questions because 
as a dancer who was trained primarily in the U.S. context, Sidendra shows up in these very, um, he shows up in these ways that are not only difficult to trace, but are also like, he's almost like a Jesus figure, the way that he's described, in that he's not he's not a real man and the de desire to make him seem like a real man is only something that I understood when I started doing my research in India. So for the longest time, I thought of him the way that we talk about Bharatamuni. You know what I mean? Like, yes, perhaps he was a real person, but it's also more likely that he's just the one person whose name we remember in the archive. So as far as Siddhendra Yogi goes, um, and I'm glad to hear the dissertation has been useful, especially that section, because that that chapter was that chapter felt the way you just described it. It felt like like you were swimming through like murky water. And it's the same feeling, right, where you want to understand how things add up. And truthfully, when they don't add up that I wish more people trusted themselves. And with Siddhendra Yogi, that's, I think that's 100% the case. He is, he is a figure that has been cultivated and sourced. He's been turned into a weapon. He's been turned into a role model. But he's also been turned into more than anything else. I mean, we could debate forever and always without any evidence whether or not he actually existed. Right. And there's so many other scholars who have actually like looked for evidence of his life, who have tried to reconcile the contra like sort of the contradictions in his story about, you know, crossing a river and being from a certain sect and all of that. And those I, I don't need to go over those details because other people have done it way better than I ever could. But tr truthfully, I think that Siddhendra Yogi becomes. I think Siddhendra Yogi is important to our conversation today because he made it possible to completely write women out of this history. He made it possible for women to be completely invisibilized. And more than that, he made it possible to suggest that not just men, but Brahmin men are the ideal vessel for dance. And like that was not always the case. That, that does not need to be a truism. I think that the fact that we treat that as if it's like an uncontrovertible fact is part of the problem. I think it's led to the way that Brahmin men conduct themselves in dance history and academic dance spaces today. I think that, I think that Siddhendra Yogi is an example of the way that the patriarchy shapes not just dancers' lives, but dance history lives. So that would be my, like, it's not really about him and the facts of him, but I think the way that he is used today is very, it's still very powerful. And I think the fact that we're still talking about him is still is very, is very revealing. Tanasha is much like Siddhendra Yogi. He's treated as, as a evidentiary figure of how Kuchipudi Brahmins located in a particular area 
were responsible for developing this art form and creating some sort of enclave where it was protected, nourished, and the story, the story as it is told, there's, I should be clear, there's very, there's very little archival evidence, there's very little material evidence that any of this actually happened. But the story as it's told is that um, he was traveling through the area, and Tanasha that is, and he stumbled upon this performance by these men, and he was so taken by it that he granted them as a gift, the land that they, you know, the land that they were occupying. So Tanasha is usually used as evidence of like a patron who gave this group access to this land, but he's also used as historical evidence that since the 15th century or 16th century, however far, you know, the dates are often very inconsistent. <laughs> so, uh, but the, the dates are incredibly inconsistent. They they almost never use the same dates, which actually just goes to show that it's not it's not the re, it's not whether or not this is true that is so powerful. It's that people believe it's true, which at the end of the day is the same thing, Gada. So. continue, the Qutub Shahis were succeeded by the Asaf Shahis. The Sufis who came from Kurdistan, today's Uzbekistan, they were the Asaf Shahis. The first leader of the Asaf Shahis was Khaja Abid. He came to India in 1655 during Shah Jahan's reign and occupied a position in the administration. The founder of the Asaf Jahi dynasty was his successor Nizam ul Mulk, who worked under Aurangzeb. He declared himself independent when the Mughal Empire crumbled and the Asaf Jahi dynasty came to power from 1713. The Asaf Jahi Nizam's ostentatious rule was known across the nation. Why are you going into so much detail about the Asaf Jahis? Aren't we talking about the history of Kuchpuri? <laughs> you must wonder at the detail I have gone into the Muslim rule of the Kutub Shahis. Even though I was born in Hyderabad, I was bundled off to our hometown in the Godavari area twice a year. The flavor of the coastal Andhra area remains intact in me through the typical food, dips in the Godavari River, temple visits, the festivals, Kuchipudi, cinema and Telugu. The whole expanse of this land is so much a part of me that when the state got divided, my heart broke. I still cannot believe Peddapuram and Kohur have a different government from Hyderabad. In Hyderabad, it's a life of inclusiveness. The riots and discrimination I see today were not a part of our lives. 
when it comes to the connection with the kalavantulu what is less known is the fact that muslims were also members of these families and that the sites of their performance also included sufi dargahs or shrines where entombed sufi saints are venerated south indian muslim dancers are known from colonial sources in vernacular terms as nayakan or bibi jaan and turukusani or the turkish devadasi in both the tamil and telugu speaking regions they were initiated into the lifestyle of these hereditary families through a symbolic marriage to an imperial dagger in a ceremony called as khadga vivaha or katikalyanam they worked in concert with professional troops called melams consisting largely of hindu women dancers from these families and male dance masters in the tamil speaking regions for at least the past 300 years men from hereditary singer dancer families who played the ritual instrument called nagaswaram also converted to islam together with their families and performed both at hindu temples and marriages as well as the muslim social events in 18th and 19th century south india their dance was deployed at a number of religious sites such as the annual festival the urs sharif that's the annual festival of sufi saints two primary sites for these kind of performances were the shrines of the 18th century saint hazrat kahja mohammad hafiz ali shah peer in hyderabad city and that of the 16th century saint Hazrat Shahul Hamid Badshah Khadri in Nagore Tamil Nadu This is an area I could not make too much progress in I would be ever so grateful if there is anyone from these families or anyone who knows anything about this practice who would enlighten me By about 1800 Nizam's power dwindled considerably strengthening the British so they were devadasis or women performers who came from muslim communities they danced also at sites that were important to the muslims and then you also parallelly had the devadasis dancing in the temple settings it seems like it was inevitable that the vocabulary encompassed all the religions all the places that these dancers participated in i don't think it is a wonder any longer that we also have english words as part of the javalis that we perform i guess that's something that comes from how british ruled india or what the colonizers gave us yeah the princely states that's yeah. right what about the zamindars you did mention something about the zamindar system and how they contributed to the abhinaya development can you tell me a little more about that Yes yes this talk would be grossly incomplete if i did not talk about the role of the zamindari system as we go through the zamindari period do keep in mind that the british were getting more and more entrenched and powerful in india the british crown had taken over by 1859 a few facts quickly the zamindari system was introduced by cornwallis through the permanent settlement act in 1793 in bengal they were the landowners with rights to collect the rent from the peasants 
the zamindari system in madras presidency our area right now was largely modeled after this but was unsuccessful and was wound up in 1852 a few of them however remained till india's independence few of them were larger than a few princely states coastal andhra and areas in today's tamil nadu had very strong zamindari provinces in fact these zamindars as the rulers were addressed were generally very generous patrons of the kalavanthulu dancers in andhra and the ishaivelalar dancers in tamil nadu it really was one large madras presidency with no divisions as we have today ramnad ganapur shivaganga pudukottai and trevancore were a few of the princely states in today's tamil nadu and kerala i chose to talk about one particular area only because my experience is rooted here there were strong provinces down south which patronized some delightful art in andhra vijayanagaram pithapuram venkatagiri karvetinagaram and srikalahasti samsthanams were celebrated while the peddapuram samsthanam of peddapuram my native town is of the smaller ones as i said earlier madhuravani and pichayamma were patronized by the zamindar of the famed annavaram you remember i said yes, that the hilak of the shrine of lord satinarayana was gifted by the zamindar to pichayamma sarojamukhi though the span was short this period saw the flowering of a vibrant performance concept in the telugu speaking areas of madras presidency called the mezwani from the urdu word mezban meaning host the repertoire again involved the salam darwus by the kalavantulu or bhogamvallu on the tanjore kings amongst other pieces they danced in intimate settings for a chosen audience today's chamber performance does that remind you of that it does even as varnams were performed padams and javalis all love poetry formed the crux of the performance Javali is a short piece of love poetry and was developed in the 19th century initially at the Mysore court of Mumbadi Krishnaraja Odiyar the 3rd this was 1799 to 1868 also Chamaraja Odiyar the 9th 
1881-1894. The Jawalis were a signature of the Kalavantulu. Bolder and lighter than the Padam, unabashedly erotic, the Jawali was the mainstay of the women in coastal Andhra. Kshetre Padams and quite a few Jawalis were performed across Madras Presidency. The higher tempo and the boldness in expression of the Javali endears it to the audience. There was also the influence of the Parsi songs. By Parsi songs, do you mean the songs that were part of the Parsi theatre? Yes. Let me explain. During colonial rule, troops performing Shakespearean theatre toured places presenting their productions. Eventually, they integrated the local artists and indigenous theatre forms into the aesthetic of the Shakespearean theatre. This was a pan-South Asian phenomenon. They used the local languages, as in Gujarati, Hindi and Urdu in Bombay, and presented the shows through the stage techniques, costumes and even narrative patterns of the modern theatre. This theatre was patronised by the Zoroastrian community in Bombay initially and so came to be called the Parsi theatre. As this theatre travelled south, the forms were affected by them. You know, Professor Harikrishnan explains the influence of this phenomenon on the Tamil art forms vividly in his celluloid classicism. Kuchipudi is another form greatly affected by the Parsi theatre in the present context. The trickling in of the Hindustani tunes and the catchy beat are a clear outcome of the Parsi theatre. Teacher, to me it seems like their lives were everywhere. They were a part of every state, every situation. They affected every other performance genre. How can we not talk about their lives? the lives that these women lived. I feel like they were active participants of political, economic and every institutional activity. But they were affecting and guiding and also being moulded by the transitions our country went through. These lives have to be talked about. Yes. So in the next segment, we will see how the Devadasi women and their lives underwent major transformations during the nationalist period.